Okay, Jesse, last week's episode was a historical murder bop. What's the story this time? An extramarital affair results in a tragic double suicide. And years later, even more scandalous secrets and dark deeds are revealed. I'm Andy Cassette. And I'm Jesse Prey. And this is Love Murder. Hey, Jesse. Welcome back, everyone, to Love Murder, a podcast about hypocrisy, betrayal, and of course, love gone fatally wrong. You can find Love Murder on Twitter and Instagram at Love Murder Pod and on Facebook by searching Love Murder Podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed the show, please love slash murder a five-star rating on your podcast app, subscribe and review to help new people discover the show. So very exciting. Andy is on the East Coast right now. I am. I am in Charleston. Yes. She's visiting with her father and her family there. And in one week and one day, she will be here with me. You're not counting down, are you? Uh, it's on the calendar. I like every day I put an X through the day as one less day I have to wait for you. Yeah, we have one more episode. Next week's we're going to shoot apart, but then the week after, we get to be in studio together for the first time ever. Yay. Yeah, I'm so excited. How does it feel? I have to be on the road with the baby. It's good. She's doing good. She, you know, I think yesterday was a long drive, so she was a little in a tizzy last night, but she's doing good. And we are very excited to get up in the Northeast. The weather looks great. It's a little, it's a little questionable down here in the Southeast right now. Is it like muggy? Muggy hot? Uh, Yeah. And there's like a hurricane coming through. Ooh, be careful. Mm -hmm. Claudette. Be careful to all of you guys that are down in that area. Yeah. Don't drive your car off the road. No. And definitely... Do not commit double suicide, which is what we are talking about today. Double suicide. I know. This is our first double suicide. It is a very, very sad circumstance. So I think we should get right to our desperately sad story today. Okay. (laughs) Nothing like What a way to start a Monday. (laughs) Start our Monday right with coffee and death. Let's do this. It was a gloriously warm May day in the seaside village of Castle Rock, Ireland, a small tourist spot five miles west of Coleraine. Robin Hastings, the coroner for North Antrim, was enjoying a glass of pink gin in the men's bar of the Castle Rock Golf Club when he was interrupted by death. Tragically, two bodies had been found in a garage in an apartment building. What was curious was that it appeared as though it was a double suicide. Now, suicides are fairly common for a coroner or even the occasional terrible murder-suicide, but a double suicide was highly unusual. A man named Trevor Buchanan was discovered slumped over the driver's seat, his right knee stuck in the door as though he had thought about stepping out. In the back of the car, a woman named Leslie Howell was found wearing earphones connected to a Walkman, and Christian music was still drifting delicately into her ears when they discovered the couple. But a couple they were not. Family photos surrounded Leslie. 
there was a distinctly different man standing by her in the photos. And that man was also linked to the man that died with Leslie. You see, Leslie's husband, Dr. Colin Howell, a cosmetic dentist, had been having a scandalous affair with Trevor's wife, Hazel, for months. Mm -hmm. The affair had been revealed at the Baptist church. Both couples attended, and now rumors abounded in coal rain and beyond. The anger, shame, and sadness had been too much for the cuckolded spouses to endure, and they had ended their lives via carbon monoxide poisoning. What? Yes, as evident by the slim tube that went from the exhaust pipe into the vehicle. A community stunned, collectively six children left without a parent, and a couple of adulterers at the heart of the devastating double suicide. And despite the straightforwardness of the scene and the obvious nature of the suicides, more secrets would come to light and more dark deeds would be committed over the next two decades. Whoa. Yes. So eventually the truth would be revealed and it would be a sordid tale of lust, sexual assault, porn addiction, and the ultimate betrayal, murder. So we're kind of in the middle of the story here when Leslie and Trevor's bodies are found. So let's go back to the beginning and talk about both of these couples. So Colin and Leslie Howell met while Colin was a young dental student at Queen's University in Belfast, and bright Leslie was a nursing student. They had a ton in common. They were both ambitious, hardworking, intelligent, and very likable. They also shared one very important value. They were both devout Baptists. Colin knew Leslie was the one right away, and though it took Leslie slightly longer to realize that Colin was her future husband, she was soon charmed by the charismatic dentist. The two were wildly attracted to each other, and though their faith dictated no sex before marriage, Colin and Leslie didn't listen to that rule, losing their virginities (laughs) to each other more than a year before their July 16th, 1983 wedding. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't blame them for that one. No, you can't. But that decision probably wasn't the best idea in a godly way, because even though you guys know we're all for premarital sex here at Love Murder, (laughs) um, it was only a bad idea for them because clearly they had no experience or understanding of contraception because Leslie was forced to have three abortions in the calendar year before their wedding. Whoa. Guys, like. Get it together. Get some condoms. Whoa. So abortions are okay in the Baptist church? It's better than being... Okay, I was going to say, but that must be better than being pregnant before marriage, which is crazy. I guess so. I I think that what we'll find out about Colin especially is that he's all about how something looks and he is very willing to be a hypocrite in his private life. Oh, God. He's definitely one of those. And... Leslie didn't want to have the abortions. She wanted to just like get married really fast and have the kids. But Colin basically told her that if she didn't have the abortion, he would break up with her, Hmm. which is super sad. So yeah, Colin was aware of his own hypocrisies when it came to faith versus his own selfish needs. He would end up having a lifelong preoccupation with sex and pornography that he would later describe as a full-blown addiction. Obviously, 
porn addiction is also not something that the church really smiles upon. No, I wouldn't think so. No. Despite the abortions that eroded some of Leslie's faith in Colin and herself, the couple did get married and they settled well into their early years. Colin established himself as a dentist and Leslie was a well-respected and popular nurse. She was described as bright, lovely, and caring. She didn't have a single friend who wouldn't bend over backwards for her because she would undoubtedly do the same for them. They made the majority of their friends at Coleraine Baptist Church, and Leslie especially enjoyed a woman's Bible study group, of which she was one of the most popular members. The couple welcomed baby Matthew in 1984, and their joy was obvious. Though Leslie and Colin would go on to have three more children, the years were not kind to their union, and their marriage was plagued by issues. First of all, Colin was terrible at managing money. And he was constantly overdrafting the family's accounts and not telling Leslie. Stop. Yeah. It was like he was doing some sketchy stuff with money. And it got so bad that he secretly sold his own dental practice without telling his wife. Wow. Yeah. The other even bigger issue, however. <laughs> that porn, you know. Was Colin's sexual appetite. Yeah. <laughs> You're correct. I don't know what he was doing to to lose all of his money because he didn't have any gambling issues. So it was like pornography and other women, you know. Are there limited edition porns? Well, also back in these days, I felt like it was just magazines and like a VHS tape. So I don't know how you could spend that much money. Today, I can see how somebody could like lose the family farm on OnlyFans, you know. He had to have had a collection. Oh, God, that's so gross. Like trunk worth of magazines and VHSs. Yeah, or trunks, plural. But that, I feel like, depending on how expensive that is, that could add up for sure. I also think he made bad or interesting financial choices. Like he makes bad investments too. So it could have just been that as well. Because yeah, I don't know how you lose the family fortune on your trunk trunk of porn over there. I know. Oh, that doesn't, that doesn't sound too sweet. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But yeah, so he had copious amounts of porn consumption, like we're saying, and even infidelity. Immediately following the birth of their third child, Daniel, in May of 1989, Leslie discovered that Colin had been having an affair. Boo. Boo. Yes. Though she eventually confronted the woman and the affair partner convinced her that it was over and she had moved on, Leslie's trust in Colin was completely broken and she also suffered terrible self-esteem. I mean, that's a really, really, really shitty time for a dude to have an affair when his wife has just given birth to their third child. Yeah. Like, first of all, you don't feel sexy in pregnancy or postpartum. You medically cannot have sex for quite a while. And the guy is just going to dip out and make you feel terrible on yourself. Yeah. He sounds like a real, real nice guy. <laughs> He's a real piece of work, this one. He's a tell real, you. real piece of work. Yeah. It's, it's a douche lord move <laughs> for sure. Douche lord alert is happening right now. <sighs> okay. Yeah. But it gets even worse because for some reason she does start having sex with him again And they get pregnant when the third baby is only six months old. So she's pregnant with their fourth. That's in like two and a half months for us. 
Could you imagine? No. Could you even imagine? No. 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 Also, six months is like when you're finally getting into a groove. Like, you know, at that point, your baby should be on a schedule. You should be sleeping a little better. You probably at this point have like lost the majority of the weight. You're feeling finally like a human and boom, you're pregnant again. Yeah. Anyone who has gone through that is a trooper because I could not. Ser- seriously. I, I've heard like horror stories. <laughs> which is Any story that ends with a beautiful child that you love is a good story. But I have heard about people like going for their six-week checkup and they're like already pregnant again. How? I don't know. It happened to the guy who rents my dad's space. you're not supposed to have sex before six weeks. I know people that were like getting back in the saddle at four weeks, even though you're not supposed to. How? And I guess that you're really fertile after pregnancy sometimes or something. Oh my God, this is terrifying me. I'm going out and buying some condoms. (laughs) Taking my own advice, and I am going to buy some prophylactics. Oh my God. Yeah. So she's about to have four kids under the age of five. They're in financial dire straits, and they're barely recovered from his infidelity. This is a full blown disaster case. Yeah. And they have a trunk full of porn somewhere. <laughs> and there's a t- trunk of porn. Just keep reminding everyone. Somewhere. So, obviously, Colin gets his shit together, straightened out the family finances, and recommitted himself to his wife. Right? Right? (laughs) Right? No. Of course not. (laughs) Of course he didn't. We would not have a show if people made good decisions. (laughs) End of story. I love your your scolding whenever you do this. (laughs) No. No. He made a terrible choice. (laughs) Go listen to another podcast if that's what you want. Yeah. We should start another podcast called Happy Endings. And it's just like happy stories of, you know, people that made it through infidelity and ended up on the other side (laughs) with their lives and happiness. So funny. No. Instead of doing anything remotely responsible, Colin goes on the hunt for a new affair partner and finds one. Mm-hmm. In the form of his daughter's preschool assistant. You've got to be kidding me. That's really gross to be trolling for puss at your daughter's preschool. That's really messed up. That's like trolling at the PTA meetings. Yeah, you. So he does find an affair partner in a comely blonde named Hazel Buchanan. Hazel was married to police officer Trevor, and they had two small children, Lisa, the oldest, and her younger brother by 18 months, Andrew. Trevor and Hazel had met in 1979 while Hazel was working at a grocery shop after high school graduation. Trevor at the time was a young reservist prepping for a career with the RUC, which is the Royal Ulster Constabulatory who policed Ireland. This was especially dangerous during this time period because it's Northern Ireland during the Troubles, which is a period of conflict with the IRA in the region that lasted about 30 years into the late 90s. So yeah, this is a a dangerous job. Two of Trevor's brothers were also in the RUC, and his brother Victor had actually been badly maimed in an IRA bomb attack in 1972. 
Oh my God. It's a tough time to be in the RUC right now. Rather than shying away from the danger following his brother's terrible injury, Trevor was only more committed to making the force. So he was just a tad short. Apparently, you had to be at least 5'8 to be in the RUC. And so he was so committed to wanting to do this that he literally like slept on boards and like stretched his body and used to literally like hang upside down to try to like stretch himself out so he could reach the height requirement. And that actually worked. Apparently for him, he managed to just touch out that 5'8 exactly and he got to get his dream job. I mean, I don't know if he was just a late bloomer and he was going to grow anyway or if it actually worked because that seems kind of crazy. That's wild. And it's kind of crazy that you have to be a certain height. Yeah, I wonder why. A little heightist, you know? Seems a little heightist. Also seems a little sexist because women aren't as tall as men, you know? I wonder if they've changed that since. He ended up getting to join the RUC, and he felt quite content with his beautiful wife, the career of his choice, and his two beautiful children. Everyone could see how much Trevor worshipped Hazel. A friend of Trevor's said to Derek Henderson, which, mid-story, I'm going to introduce the book we'll be using today. <laughs> so a it's previous, either at the beginning or when you do your first quote. It is always when I do my first quote. Yes. So today we are using the earlier version of the book, I think was called Let This Be Our Secret. And then I found a new copy um, that was called Just The Secret. So I think you can look up either one. It's by Derek Henderson. And it is really, really well done. So cheers, Derek. And also thank you for bringing us our first Irish case. The friend of Trevor's told Derek Henderson, the author of the book we'll be using today, Trevor treated her like the queen. The house was furnished to absolute perfection. She got anything she wanted, but she wasn't content. It was never good enough. Trevor's sister Valerie said, even just watching their body language, Trevor was in awe of Hazel. He hung on her every word. He was proud of her. Whatever she wanted, he provided, no matter how he got it. So Hazel was very materialistic. And that was hard for Trevor with the police officer's salary to keep up. So I think when she met Dr. Colin Howell, it must have seemed like he had more money than he did. She obviously didn't know he was in, you know, financial ruin. Of course. And he's got doctor in his name, you know? Exactly. So she's kind of like, hmm, cha-ching. Like, yep. this could be fun, and sexy. Like, also, he's got money, you know? It's also an empty cash register. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't know that it's cha-ching. She was definitely into it for the dick and for the wallet. Hazel was described by someone who knew both parties as having, quote, little personality. Ouch. Oof. And seduced by Colin's charm and intellect. So again, he first met her and he flirted with her at his daughter's preschool. And then she became a patient of his so that they could see more of each other. But the affair really got cooking in the summer of 1990. Leslie was heavily pregnant with baby Johnny. So she sent Colin to take the children to swim classes. And lo and behold, Hazel decided to sign her kids up as well. Well, uh -oh. things got steamy in the shallow end, as described <laughs> in Derek Henderson's The Secrets. 
As the weeks passed, the two began to flirt. One afternoon, as he held her up in the water, he noticed that her skin was more slippery than usual. She had been using a particularly rich body moisturizer, and before he could stop himself, he ran his hand over her upper legs and then across her pubic area toward her stomach and back again. Half expecting a slap on the face, he excused himself at once. If I'm having wrong thoughts about you, you'll have to forgive me. But he was relieved as well as heartened when the young mother responded, I'm not so innocent myself, before she gently pushed him to one side, leaving him standing as she swam away. <laughs> and that's how it got started. Taking your kids to swim class. So fairly soon after this, the two engaged in some illicit sex, and soon the couple was meeting clandestinely as often as possible, like a couple of teenagers. They would have sex at Howell's dental practice after hours or at Hazel's while Trevor was on duty. They even devised their own secret lines of communication. So this is, describing this as some really old school analog phone stuff. So get ready for some 90s nostalgia. He would dial her number, but hang up before it started ringing. Thus, she would hear a click rather than a ring and know it was him. Then she would call him back, careful to hang up every nine minutes, because at 10 minutes, a call was registered and added to the itemized phone bill. Oh, my God. I mean, also, these are adults with children doing this. I know. Like, if, if you have to sneak around and do this, like, in your 30s, boo. Boo. Well, these two were having a jolly old time sneaking around in the summer of love 1990, so much so that Hazel got pregnant. Stop. Ugh. This guy Condoms. is fertile. I know. He, and he's just shooting it everywhere. Oh, my God. <laughs> just shooting it left and right. So Hazel actually considered keeping it and passing the baby off as Trevor's. And there was some chance that it was her husband's because they were still sleeping together too. Oh, Hazel. So I know, Hazel. So she was like, maybe there's like a 50-50 chance. But the problem with that was that Trevor is brunette, like hair, brown eyes. And Colin is blonde with blue eyes. So it would seem like a pretty iffy proposition and also an unusual genetic feature ran in Colin's family, a fairly rare hereditary condition where some of the toes or fingers are webbed. So with all these things being considered, they had another abortion. Like at this wow. point, he should just get a punch card. <laughs> just like, he took her to the same clinic, too, that he took his Stop. wife to. Oh, my yeah. God. No, he's a regular at this point. Jeez Louise. Also, I cannot stress enough what a hypocrite he is because, obviously, publicly, he is pro-life and anti-adultery. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think most people are anti-adultery. But with him, it's an actual cornerstone of his faith. Yeah. Well, his dirty little secret is about to be revealed. First off, a fellow churchgoer caught the two together and later called Colin and said, if non-Christians can avoid having an affair, then you have no excuse. Which goes to my point, like he's supposed to be holding himself to elevated morals through his faith and he is not. Yeah. 
Next, Leslie, already having been burned by Colin's wandering dick before, was deeply suspicious. I mean, she <laughs> she knew something was going on. Her women's intuition was going, wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Wheel, wheel, wheel. That's, yeah, that's a better ambulance right there. Wiener, wiener, wiener. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Adultery alert. Wiener, wiener, wiener. So she admitted her doubts to Pastor Hansford, who ministered to the Coleraine Baptist Church. Pastor Hansford confronted Colin, who denied the affair. But he knew that Hazel was the one who he was having the affair with because Leslie was suspicious of the two of them. And when Pastor Hansford pushed hard at Hazel, like being like, hey, I know he denied it, but I know you're having an affair. Hazel uh, broke down and started crying and admitted it to the pastor. Okay. So armed with this information, Pastor and Leslie go back to Colin and they confront him again. And this time he did admit his guilt, but he also stayed the line that they hadn't had full sex. So basically both him and Hazel admit that there was some sort of emotional affair and that they were inappropriate with each other, but they denied that they had had sexual intercourse, which of course was a lie. So they're both saying that they had an emotional affair and they know that they were inappropriate and maybe they had gotten a little handsy but they deny that they have had full sexual intercourse, which of course was a lie. Which you need to do in order to get pregnant. Yes, exactly. So they were they were like doing the half confession thing, you know? Yep. So later, like Pastor Hansford is like all up in this situation. Like he was with Leslie when they confronted Colin. And then he goes to the Buchanan's house and is with Hazel, while she confesses to her husband that she had this affair. Wow, that's intense. Yeah. So, I mean, the church is very heavily involved in their personal lives. And Hansford later said that both Trevor and Leslie felt a tremendous sense of embarrassment, shame, and humiliation. And that just sucks because it really shouldn't be the cheated upon spouses that should feel humiliated. It should be the people that did the dirty, not the people that got the dirty done to them. Of course. Yeah. But I understand psychologically, you know, like I've been cheated on, thankfully not by my husband, but like a previous boyfriend. And you do feel like somehow humiliated and you kind of like, like are like, what's wrong with me? Why aren't I good enough? You know, even though it is nothing about you, whenever you're cheated on, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the cheater, you know? So the church elders are notified about the affair. So like the church is all up in this and Colin and Hazel are punished, which means that Colin has to resign from his volunteer work within the organization and Hazel can no longer teach Sunday school and they both are no longer allowed to take communion. Uh Uh-oh, that's embarrassing. That is embarrassing. And I think then the rest of the church must have known that they did dirty if the, everyone's getting up to get communion and they're sitting there adultery asses in their seats, you know? They're eating the body of Christ and they don't get any. Mm-mm. Christ says, no, you cannot have my body because you had each other's. No. Pastor Hansford begins to maritally counsel both couples. And he also kind of runs interference, making sure that they're not going to the same service. So if like Hazel and Trevor are going to the morning service, then he tells the Howells that they have to go to the afternoon one and so on and so forth to keep everybody separated. Both couples tell Hansford that divorce is not an option and they want to work on their respective marriages. But even Pastor Hansford is kind of like, maybe y'all should get a divorce. Like he 
is a pastor, but he's like, we don't believe that divorce is a sin. We believe cheating on your spouse is a sin. Yeah. Like if you're going to keep doing that, you need to just get divorced and go live a new truth and walk with Christ in an honest way after a divorce, you know? But they both are like, no, no, no. We want to stay together. We have kids. Like this is what we want to do. We can recover from this. Like we can work on forgiveness, you know? So for whatever reason, both couples persist. Despite the best efforts of their spiritual inner circle and to particularly Leslie and Trevor's horror, the gossip does get out in the community and it affects all of the members of this messy situation. Leslie took it the hardest as she was a new mother once again and now she was dealing with an infant, three other children under five, she had a cheating husband, and she also had postpartum depression. Oh, God. Poor girl. It's just – the hits just keep coming for poor Leslie. So she started taking antidepressants, but not even the medication could help her when she found out in October of 1990 in a counseling session that Colin had indeed been extremely sexually active with Hazel. So he finally admitted to Hansford – that the affair was, in fact, sexual in nature. And then Hansford was like, you have to tell this to your wife. So he goes over to their house and he's like, okay, Colin, you have to admit that you put your pee-pee in Hazel now. (laughs) And and so he does. And Leslie loses her shit. Like, I think she had just been barely holding on to the hope that it hadn't gone that far. And obviously, this is the only man she's ever had sex with. This is her husband, the father of her four children. She has postpartum depression. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah, so she, like, loses her shit. And she starts, like beating Colin up and she gets on the phone and starts screaming at Hazel. And so Pastor Hansford is like, I'm going to see myself out here. (laughs) My work is done. I'm out. So he leaves. But after he leaves and Colin thinks that Leslie is calming down, she actually tries to overdose on painkillers. Oh, no. Yeah. poured gasoline all over that house and like left. Yes, exactly. And that's like Colin calls him and he's like, I think she just tried to kill herself. You need to come back here. So Pastor Hansford comes back and they call an ambulance. They rush her to the hospital. She gets her stomach pumped, but she was just not mentally well. Obviously, things are a nightmare right now for her. And she ends up staying in the hospital for three additional days at this point. And after the suicide attempt, nothing is really the same again for this couple. Like Leslie feels deep shame and humiliation at his affair, but now she's also feeling compounded guilt and shame about her suicide attempt because suicide is also a sin, you know? So she's feeling terrible about herself. She's feeling guilty about like, what if she had succeeded and all of those children were left without a mom you know, so she's she's feeling really, really bad. And this is just, it's just this guilt, shame spiral. She also is like 
like feeling bad about herself, like and thinking like maybe it's because I don't look a certain way that, you know, he cheated on me. So she starts crash dieting. She starts trying to like change her appearance oh, and get like spa treatments and and do various like things, beauty treatments to try to make yeah. herself look more attractive to her husband. And it's just not a good place for her mentally at all, you no. know? Yeah, it's just bad. And at this point, the one good thing is that between October of 1990 and March of 1991, Hazel and Colin 100% were not speaking to each other at all. They really were trying to work on their marriage. Colin was suitably horrified that he had driven his wife potentially to suicide. So he was actually making a concerted effort to stay away from his mistress at this point. Okay. I think it's also too, though, because Pastor Hansford and the church elders are like watching them like a hawk. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to let you two in the same room. We know what you're all about. And so like, let's not act like he's like so, so great of him that he could spend a few months away from his mistress, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So despite Colin not totally being an arsehole for once in his life, Leslie just can't let go of the feeling that he's going to get back up to old tricks again. So like their situation is very tense. Every time he leaves the house, she thinks he's going to go cheat and they are fighting worse than ever. I mean, she's like snatching up the phone while he's on it being like, who is that? Who are you talking to? And when he tries to go out jogging, she, like, gets in the car and drives around, like, after him to make sure he's not, like, running over to Hazel's house. Yeah, not healthy. Not healthy at all. And she's, like, super angry. So she starts, like, cutting up, like, family photos in front of him, like, when they fight, like, to illustrate what he's doing to the family. Like, she's, like, doing a metaphor thing there. It's just a bad situation. And I mean, it's entirely Colin's fault that he has put his wife in this situation and that she has postpartum depression. So it's aggravating what he was actually doing. You know, it's not just her being paranoid, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not healthy. I think that if you decide that you're going to get back together with somebody who cheated on you, you really have to full on forgive to be able to move forward, you know? Yeah, yeah. Which is really hard to do. Very which is complex. really, really hard to do, yeah. which is why, you know, so many couples don't survive infidelity, you know? Yeah. In the other household, Trevor seems mostly just to shut down. He just gets really, really quiet. He talks to very few people about what happened. It's kind of like he wants to just, like, pretend it never happened yeah. and, like, not think about it. I mean, Hazel was just you know, his most prized situation was like, he was so proud of his wife and their marriage, you know? So he did talk to his brother, Victor, about the affair. And he did talk about how ashamed he felt and how depressed he was in this situation to the point that his brother, Victor, was a little worried that he was suicidal. But he promised Victor he would not kill himself. So Victor was like feeling like, okay, I think that they're actually working through this. And Pastor Hansford felt that the Buchanans were definitely doing better in counseling than the Howells, for sure. 
But also in general, he felt like every counseling session they were getting stronger. And even Trevor was like coming to the counseling sessions and being like, you know what, there was things maybe I could have done differently too. I, you know, have some culpability and, you know, our marriage eroding and her looking for comfort in the arms of another man. And yeah. I want to take responsibility for that. And I really want to forgive her and I want to move forward. So it seemed like, especially to Pastor Hansford, that they were moving in the right direction, you know? So at that point, Pastor Hansford knows that Colin is still not totally over Hazel because Colin is going to solo sessions with Pastor Hansford. And he's like, you stay away from her because she's actually healing her marriage and she doesn't want you. And she's really happy with the way things are going. And they have actually fully moved on past the situation. And if you even talk to her, you're like bringing her back down in the dirt yeah. with you. So yeah. like stay the fuck away from her, you know? This message completely backfires, though, because all he hears, because he's like a megalomaniacal narcissist, is that she's over him. And he's like, no, I don't want her to be over me. Like, I want her to be into me, and I want this affair to keep going. And he, like, cannot – he's obsessive, and he cannot let her move on and be happy. So he reaches out to her, and he's like, hey, you just have to tell me – if you actually don't want anything to do with me anymore, because that's what Pastor Hansford is saying. And she was like, you know, I've been kind of pining for you as well. Like I'm trying Aww. to move forward, but I still want you. I still think about you. So Colin's like, ha ha, success. And the two restart their affair. So around the time that Colin was getting back together with Hazel secretly, of course, another incident shook Leslie's life up. Six weeks before her suicide, Leslie called a friend with a very concerning story. Here's how it is written about in The Secret. Leslie's friend Ruth recalled to the police that Leslie prefaced the disclosure in a rather unsettling way with the words, I'm telling you this in case anything happens to me. Ruth would later tell police of the conversation. She told me that she'd been lying in the bath, relaxing, and had taken the tape recorder into the bathroom on an extension cord. What? She said it was behind her on the floor. So I'm guessing it's like a cassette player. And that Colin came into the bathroom and said he needed the tape recorder. He lifted it and somehow the cord came out and fell into the bath and she got a shock. As a result, her arm shot up and the lead went with it. The lead had landed on her arm. She did not know how this happened as it was all going on behind her, as was Colin. He made her promise not to tell anyone as he was embarrassed that he had done something so silly and she promised him she wouldn't tell anyone. Silly? Silly. He dropped a tape recorder and it tried to kill her. Leslie did not explicitly say that she believed her husband made a serious attempt to kill her, but it was clear that the young mother was very unsettled by the incident and felt the need to communicate her fear and distrust of him to her friend. She also contacted two other close female friends to tell them about what had happened. It was clear that Leslie's distrust of her husband had plumbed new depths. Whoa. Yikes. So maybe her philandering husband tried to kill her, and then her beloved father dies of a heart attack in their home. Oh, God. 
Yeah, so things are bad. This is falling the final apart. straw. Yeah, for Leslie. And she gets she ends up in a deep depression at this point. She begins to take sedatives and sleeping pills nightly while also drinking heavily, which isn't a great combination. I'd say. Yeah, it gets so bad that at some point she comes to bed mid-May and she says to Colin, this is going to be over soon. I'm going to go to heaven. Maybe you and Hazel are meant to be together. I'll never get over this. Trevor will never get over this. Aww. So Colin knew that Trevor and Leslie had been in touch, commiserating about their spouse's affair, but he didn't know the extent of their conversations, nor was he at this time concerned that they would commit suicide. Colin thought when Leslie woke him up to say that thing to him that she was just drunk, depressed, and potentially being melodramatic, you know? Okay. Well, Colin would tell the police later that he didn't know just how wrong he was, which also he should have known if she had a previous suicide attempt too, you know? Yeah. So we're back now to the horrifying night that Leslie and Trevor took their lives. And here's what Colin said happened. So it's a Saturday night, the night before Trevor and Leslie would be found. And Colin says that Leslie came home at 7.50 p.m. with a big box of red wine and she began to drink. Frustrated with her excessive drinking, which he claimed had been going on for a little while, Colin left the house and returned around 10 p.m. when he caught her finishing up a phone conversation. He believed that she had been on the phone with Trevor Buchanan and the two fought over it, Leslie bringing up the affair again and the pain that Colin had caused both her and Trevor. The two continued to fight and Colin eventually went to bed, leaving Leslie to drink alone and watch TV. The next thing he said he realized was he woke up and he could hear the sound of Trevor's voice in his house. From the secret, here's what he said happened next in Colin's own words. He said, I assumed he had entered by the rear door as the front doorbell hadn't rung. I went to the family room and saw Trevor and Leslie standing there. When he saw me, he referred directly to my relationship with Hazel in strong language. At the same time, he stepped towards me as if to grab me, but I grabbed a hold of him and restrained him. He immediately responded by regretting what he had just said and offered no more resistance. Leslie, in equally strong language, rebuked his apology to me and abruptly made me aware they wanted to talk alone, so I left the room. He was gone in less than 10 minutes, and when I entered the room afterwards, Leslie was lying on the settee in the same room. It was now about 11.40 p.m., according to Howell. He tried to reconcile with Leslie, but she wanted to be left alone. She seemed drowsy and calm, and he went back to bed at around 10 minutes past midnight. He woke at 8.20 a.m. and assumed his wife was still asleep on the settee. He saw that the garage door was open and his Renault was gone. He then entered the kitchen and found a few pages of a notepad normally kept beside the telephone with Leslie's handwriting. It was difficult to read. This was an alleged suicide note. Okay. So Hal explained later, I read the note several times to understand that there was an implication of suicide. My immediately thoughts went to the missing Tamazepam tablets, and my first action was to contact the police to inquire if she had been in an accident, being aware of the amount of alcohol and tablets that she had taken the previous night. That sounds fishy. Yes. So the note is in Leslie's handwriting, confirmed, and it reads... Dear Colin, I'm just trying to go to sleep now. For how long, I don't know. Thank you for your help over the past few days and for the good times in our marriage. I don't know what to say to you because I don't know how I feel. 
but I've seen that life goes on after a few weeks of pain. And let's face it, Colin, I am nothing in comparison to what you lost in the one you loved a while back. If I wake up in the morning, just let this be our secret, Leslie. It's kind of a weird suicide note. So Colin calls all of the hospitals and the police stations, but there's no sign of Leslie. So then he calls some church friends and he's like, I don't know where she is. Can you help me look for her? One of the places that he thinks she might be is at her recently deceased father's house. Maybe she went over there because she was depressed and she wanted to be near him or his things, you know? Okay. And it is actually in the garage of her father's house that Leslie and Trevor are discovered. Stop. Dead of an apparent suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. So to reiterate the scene we talked about at the beginning, Trevor is found in the driver's seat with his leg against the door that was slightly ajar, and Leslie is in the way back, technically the boot or trunk, laying down and listening to Christian music through her Walkman. It is quickly confirmed via autopsy that both Leslie and Trevor died of carbon monoxide poisoning, which was fairly obvious from the tube that was attached to the exhaust pipe and snaked through a rear window. Okay. There is some speculation that Trevor may have had second thoughts and attempted to get out of the car based on how one of his legs is slightly out of the vehicle or like leaning towards getting out of the vehicle. Okay. Also, Trevor didn't leave a note, and Hazel had no idea when he left in the night to go to the Howl, so she didn't know about any of this. When the police inform her that her husband had died in an apparent suicide pact with her lover's wife, she is just completely in shock. A neighbor was there with her when she received the terrible news, and she says that Hazel turned white as a sheet and was seemingly unable to speak or even cry. She just put her hands in her face and wouldn't speak. Meanwhile, Colin is breaking the grim news to his children who are so, so young. It's absolutely devastating. It had been Danny's second birthday the day that she died. Whoa. Yeah, and the other kids are six and four, and little baby Johnny is only eight months old. Wow. Yeah. And and this is another reason, though, that people are skeptical about the suicide because it just seems like, you know, if they don't know about Leslie's previous attempt, it seems shocking to anyone. She was such a caring and devoted mother yeah. that she would leave her children in this way. Yeah. So they're even – more shocked about Trevor as he hadn't, to anyone's knowledge, ever had any suicidal ideation. He had even promised his brother that he wouldn't. And there ends up being some gossip and speculation about the nature of Leslie and Trevor's relationship. Were they having an affair as well? Was this like some Romeo and Juliet type thing? Yeah. Also, that's very Shania Twain. Remember Shania Twain's husband, cheated on her and Shania Twain ended up married to the husband of the affair partner. Yeah. Yeah. So people are like, maybe that's what happened. Then they're also like, based on where Trevor's body was, they're like, was he helping Leslie commit suicide and like being a voice to bounce things off of and tried to get out, but the the gas got him. Yeah. You know, too. Or was he trying to stop her from committing suicide? You know, like there's just, so much confusion about what actually happened here. 
and the entire community because it's a very you know their their main source of friendship and community was around the church so everyone yeah. is just really shocked by this and also a little scandalized again because of their opinion of suicide you know yep so yeah especially Trevor's family was like I, I don't know this seems really weird we just don't believe that Trevor would commit suicide Victor said, I could not understand why Trevor had suddenly committed suicide knowing the conversations we had and knowing it was the last thing that would have entered his mind. That was from his lips. He always felt he didn't have the guts to do it anyway. He told me, you needn't worry. It is the last thing I would even consider. We knew how much he loved the children. Trevor had three loves, the Lord, his wife and children, and then his work, all in that order. The affection was apparent. It wasn't switched on or switched off. There was no question about his love for Hazel. If he hadn't loved her, he would not have stayed with her. There's absolutely no doubt about that. He wouldn't have endured it one step longer. It was only the love he had for her that he could see beyond all that had gone on. He was prepared to take her back and make a go of it again. Yeah. Which again is kind of what Pastor Hansford thought too. He thought that especially the Buchanans were doing pretty well, you know? Yeah. So Coleraine Baptist holds both funerals on the same day and people are really pissed off because obviously Colin and Hazel are there and everybody knows about their affair. So even if you don't suspect foul play in the suicide, you're like, it's your fault, you know? Yeah. And I guess like Hazel wore kind of a racy outfit. Like she oh, wore God, a Hazel. Like, yeah, she wore like a low cut blouse and a short skirt, like in a like like with a, like just a suit jacket over it. But it was like a tardy type of outfit. They said, "Yikes!" I'm sure the churchgoers didn't like that. No, they did not like it. And Trevor's family was really frustrated too because, like, a she was dressed like that, but b the entire service was about her and about their marriage and like how much he loved her and how what a devoted husband he was. And they were like screw her like talk about his kids talk about what like good brother and son he was you yeah. know yeah so obviously now Colin and Hazel are free to pursue their relationship but it's not that easy first of all there's an inquest and they're being you know obviously investigated to make sure that they didn't actually have a hand in the actual literal deaths yeah which they are ruled to not have anything to do with the suicides and their names are cleared in that respect. And it's ruled just a double suicide. However, the people in the church like hate them. So they are completely shunned by that community at this point and they have to end up leaving the church and finding new churches separately. At this point, like Hazel doesn't really want anything to do with Colin anymore, even though they had resumed the affair leading up to it. I think that after Trevor's death, she had a lot of guilt okay, about how everything went by. And also there was an awareness that if they got together, they were going to be shunned for the rest of their life. Like she was hoping that she could go to another church for a little while and let the dust settle and that like people would forget or like at least forgive after a little while. And then she could eventually go back to the church that she loved so much. But if she like got together with Colin and even like married him, obviously they could never go back to the church because people would never forget what happened, you know? So at first she refused to even see him so Colin had asked a mutual friend to deliver a letter to her because he was so desperate to talk to her. And this is kind of skeevy, though, because he wanted this letter to be delivered to her at 
her husband's funeral, which I think is in very poor taste. And so the friend was this guy named Derek McCauley. And so he's like, hey, can you pass this letter to Hazel? She's not talking to me. And Derek McCauley's like, sure, dude. And he steams the letter open, reads it, takes a photocopy, gives a photocopy to the pastor, then recloses the envelope and passes it on to Hazel. Whoa. So sneaky. And so later on, he gives this letter, this photocopy of the letter to the police, which is how Derek Henderson knows what was in this letter. And this is what, this is like an excerpt of what he wrote to Hazel. Hazel, the pastor has given me the message from you that although with your heart you want you and me, you now realize with your mind that it is best that we never get together again. Is that true? I must know because if it is, you must ring me and only say it is true. Don't allow me to think there is hope. If there is none, you will kill me. I can accept it now if you say it, but I can't allow myself to progress to find out later. And you must decide now about our future and not wait and see. I will not ever try and change your mind, no matter how lonely I get. Read the rest only if you want to know why I disagree about certain things the pastor has said to you. First, he told me he will do everything in his power to stop us getting together. That, I believe, is not his thinking mind, but his very strong emotional reaction of anger and guilt at their deaths. Um, yeah. He is a very clever man and is capable of convincing you that our marriage would be a disaster and will, in the days to come, continue to convince you if you remain uncertain. If with your mind, not your feelings, you accept what I think, then we will both go to the pastor and tell him that in the long term, maybe one to two years, we have decided now to get together later, but we will give him certain reassurances so that he can accept for the sake of the church that we would say to him. And then he like goes into like how her children don't like him, but he thinks he can be a good father figure for them. And eventually they're going to get over it. And he gets into her grief for Trevor. And he says, you know, I agree. We might've underestimated this response to their deaths. The length of time it takes to get over this will determine when we get together. He's like, when we miss each other, we should look at Trevor and Leslie's things and photos to concentrate our feelings on their grief. He says he misses Leslie and he's so sorry that he didn't love her enough. And then he says that, again, he brings it back to the pastor. The pastor said that, you know, they could never get married because Hazel's never going to get over what happened with Trevor and her culpability in it. And basically he says, like, let's come up with a plan. We can go to another church together. We can move and live somewhere far away from, you know, the notoriety of what happened, but we can be together. He says, if in your heart, Hazel, you really think it is over for us, then you must say it. If you can say without doubt that we can overcome these problems given by the pastor, then say yes to me and don't look back. We will meet with the pastor and tell him our plans. We will ask him to counsel us if he agrees. We will be honest and open, but not secretive. We will lose many friends who won't accept us, but we can walk down the street together proud of each other because from now on we are forgiven and will be disciplined and will honor God. And we won't lose all of our friends if we take our time. I have taken a mother from my children, but God will provide for them. And I can only hope and pray it can be you, but only if you can accept in your mind as well as your heart. I have taken a mother from her children. Yeah, that was the line that Derek McCauley was like, excuse me? Yeah. And at that point, he thought it was odd, like odd phrasing. And he thought that it was still guilt about yep. the affair. But maybe, maybe it's more literal than that. 
I mean, I would not phrase it that way if you if no. that was innocent. I don't think I would either. So he's going hard for Hazel, even though this letter was written around the time of their spouse's funeral. Gross. Gross. And at first, Hazel was reticent, but within six weeks of the deaths of their spouses, they start banging again. So she wasn't that reticent. Stop. Yeah. Whoa. And they did They did try to keep everything still on the down low. And, like, he was, like, sneaking into her house and stuff. And they did try to, like, get the kids together at some point because they were, like, the same age. But it was clear that this was always going to be hanging over their relationship. And it it wasn't really going to work. So they would spend, like, the next four years sneaking around, being on again, off again, kind of. But they were not happy. And towards the end, it wasn't even sexy. Like, it wasn't fun sneaking around. They're not really having sex at the end. Hazel had so much guilt about what had occurred that she, at some point, was like, I can't even have sexual intercourse with you. Wow. And so Colin started drugging her with nitrous oxide to to get her to have sex with him, which she was an equal participant in it because she was like every time they went to get physical, she would get in her head. Yeah. And so he's like, what if I just gas you? And she's like, okay. And so he's basically knocking her out and sexually assaulting her with her permission. Whoa. Yeah. So obviously this is not a healthy sexual dynamic. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. The relationship was highly dysfunctional, and Colin at this point goes off the deep end. He gets way more into his porn addiction, and then he even stoops to the lowest of professional lows, and maybe he got the idea because of his sex life with Hazel, but he starts groping and molesting his female patients while they're under the influence of the nitrous oxide. How do they find out? They find out later because he confesses to it. So oh, he's not confessing. He'll he'll confess to it later. It's gross. But it's like they found out he wasn't like unduly drugging women. He was like giving them the right amount of nitrous oxide for the procedure that they were having. But he, but then he was they, touching them. Yes. He was basically, especially when he would walk them to a recovery room, he would grope their breasts and their lady bits downstairs wow. as well. Yeah. He's got some serious issues. He's got some serious issues, and he is not a good guy. Is one of them also that he's a murderer? It might be. He might be a murderer. They died from the carbon monoxide, makes me think, and he's, like, comfortable gassing his, like, affair partner. You know? It's exactly. like... Exactly. Mm-hmm. But it's tricky. I mean, how do you gas somebody without their knowledge? You would knock them out the same way you're knocking out your lover. Maybe. Did I get it? So hard to do reveals <laughs> with you because you're so smart. Uh, yes, but I'm not okay. telling you about it yet. <laughs> there was supposed to be like a dramatic reveal, Andy. <laughs> you you're want, ruining you it. You edit this out? It's fine. Leave it in. Because I know everyone who's listening to this, I know y'all are really smart too. So you're like screaming at me. Obviously, they did it, Jesse. So like, Andy, you have to say that too. Because I know our listeners are thinking it. <laughs> what kind of listener would I be if I couldn't figure it out on behalf of our exactly. listeners? Exactly. I got to trust you guys more. You're too smart. <laughs> 
Yeah, so this is, he's deeply unhealthy. He's also obsessive about Hazel, and he keeps trying to get her to marry him. And she says no for a couple reasons. Number one, like like I said, this guilt is hanging over their head. (laughs) He's potentially a murderer. (laughs) And she also wants to keep her husband's pension, like his police pension that she gets and she won't get if he remarries. So that's not great. And there's another reason. She starts cheating on Colin with another guy named Trevor, a new boyfriend named Trevor McCauley. So Hazel later said regarding the relationship with Colin, he is someone who is very controlling, very. He gets his own way in one shape or form. Whether he fools you or cons you, whatever it is, he will get you. If he wants something, he will get it. I was going out with someone that I thought I had loved at a time, but he turned out to be quite obsessive. So Howell, for his part, quickly realized that she was cheating on him. He said that whenever you're a deceiver, you know when you're being deceived. You know the tricks. So he's like, I know she's up to no good. And he used to stand in the forest behind Hazel's house to watch the comings and goings. And that's when he noticed a green Mazda in the driveway at a time when she was supposed to be entertaining one of her sisters. And she had told Howell specifically to stay away from her house that day because her sister hated him. Wow. This guy is like standing in the bushes at his lover's house, like with a little notepad being like green monster in the driveway. It's like the Homer Simpson, like backing into the shrubs. Yeah. Only with a little little notebook. Yeah. What a creep. And yeah, you're stalking her friend. Yeah. That's what you're doing. And he keeps doing it. He keeps stalking her even after Hazel definitively ends it with him and is like, I've moved on. I have a new boyfriend. He like starts like showing up where they're eating out and stuff and being like, hi. And it's just really uncomfortable. Whoa. Who's watching his kids? I do not know. He must have had like a a nanny situation because that's a lot of kids for all of this running around watching, assaulting people and his trunk of porn somewhere, you know? So eventually Colin takes the hint and he leaves Hazel alone. She and Trevor went on to date for eight years, of which Trevor later reported that it was nearly impossible to please the materialistic Hazel. Money was a major issue right from the beginning when Hazel insisted Trevor take over paying her bills as Colin had done before him. Trevor would go on to practically put himself into financial ruin, buying clothes and vacations for Hazel, as well as covering all of her bills and expenses. And the two weren't even married. What? Yeah. So again, she like keeps telling him no because Trevor wanted to marry her as well because she wanted to keep that pension. So she's just expecting her boyfriend to completely take care of her and support her. She also didn't want anything to do with his three children from a previous marriage, which sucked. Like she basically told him from the outset, I don't want to be like a mother figure to your kids. Like when you have them, I'll just stay away. I'm not going to (laughs) like deal with them. Just like you cannot do that if you are dating a single parent. The kids are part of the package, you know, not for her. And although that doesn't sound like stepmother of the year material, for some reason, Trevor still pushed her to accept a marriage proposal, 
finally at the end of this like eight years, he kind of like gave her an ultimatum like, hey, what are we doing here? We've been together for eight years. Like it's kind of like shit or get off the pot. Like you got to marry me or we are, we are breaking up. And she said to him, apparently, Trevor, I don't know if I ever loved you. I don't know if I love you now. And I don't know if I'll ever love you in oh the my future. God. Ouch. Ouch. This is cold. Brr, but thanks for paying here. all of my bills. Thank you for paying all my bills. Yeah, it's even worse because he was paying her gym membership and she met and started an affair with a guy at the gym. This girl. Yep. She met another ex-policeman. He was now retired. His name was David Stewart. So by the time he gave Trevor gave her that ultimatum, she didn't really care because she had a new guy in the wings. With a new name. With a new name. And it's also super sad because Trevor talks about how he thought they were going to get married and he thought they were going to like live in Hazel's house together. So he had paid for all of this material and he had personally like renovated like all of these projects at her house for her. And then she just like leaves him and she gets married to the new guy and they sell the house for like a nice profit because of all the work her ex-boyfriend put into it. It's so messed up. (laughs) That's so messed up. That's like if you like kept the house and all the work Dan put into it and you're like, didn't give him anything. You just sold it with your new husband. Oh my God. God. That's horrible. Meanwhile, that's what Hazel's up to. Colin had gotten remarried as well. Just before Christmas in 1996, shortly after Hazel left him for good, Colin met a beautiful 30-year-old single mother from America named Kyle. So they're like eight years apart. So he's 38 at this point, and she's 30. And they met at a singles night at Colin's new church, Port Stewart Baptist. And they reportedly fell in love at first sight. And then they had a whirlwind relationship. And they were married within six months of meeting. Wow. Kyle, honey, you don't know this guy. No, no, no. So they wasted no time whatsoever getting pregnant. And they went on to have five children over the next decade. Yeah. So she already had two kids. He already had four. And then they had five more. Talk about a big family. That's That's like farm That's 11 Children. Yeah, that is like when you churn them out because you're afraid they're going to die and you need people to, you know, harvest your <laughs> crops. You're like, we got to keep shitting them out because only like a third of them are going to live and we need help. So despite all of these many, many mouths to feed, Colin was doing really financially well at this point. First of all, I guess Kyle was really, really good at managing his money, like where Leslie hadn't stepped in to manage that process. I think This time around, Colin was trying to be more transparent and he was trying to bring his wife into the financial decisions so that she could help him, which was really smart. And it's necessary for him because he also at this point was trying to be on the straight and narrow. He even like had software downloaded on his computer that would alert somebody at the church if he looked at porn. Oh my God, that's so intense. Which I didn't even know that that's like software like that exists. That's so crazy. But yeah, it's like this like watchdog program that like basically will send all, all of his links. So he's really trying to be a good husband this time around. He's trying to like be completely transparent. Also financially, he was doing well because Leslie had inherited 212,000 pounds from her dad right before her death. 
And so he got that as her husband afterwards. And he also got money from a uh money from a hundred and twenty thousand pound life insurance policy as well. So that's a that's a good stack of cash right there. Furthermore, he did become a leading pioneer in the UK on dental implants. It's a process where they drill into your jaw and screw on a brand new tooth that functions and looks exactly like a real tooth. And it is long. You have to be really, really good at what you do, which I think he liked. And it makes bank. So he is really good at implants. So he starts making a lot of money there, too. So at this point, Colin's life is looking really good. I mean, he's got a beautiful young wife. He's got a pile of kids. He's got a thriving business. They even move into a beautiful, ginormous house. But the shoe is about to drop on old Colin Howell. First, one of his really good friends, a man named Fritz Hoffman, died from an infection that was caused by an erupting wisdom tooth. Colin had nothing to do with that situation. It was like basically how the wisdom tooth came out of his mouth. It got like some sort of infection because it was impacted by another tooth. Now, Colin had done some dental work on him, like, but it had been months and months prior. So he was in no way responsible for this death. But I think he still felt guilty just being a dentist like he could have saved his friend here. So that really depressed him, number one. And then what was much, much sadder for him is that Colin's firstborn child, Matthew, died tragically while on a semester abroad in St. Petersburg, Russia. He went to University of St. Andrews in Scotland, but he was studying Russian. And so he was at a semester abroad in St. Petersburg when something happened that was ruled a freak accident. But to me, it sounds really, really fishy. So this is how Derek Henderson describes what happened in the book. He said that Matt had been in the apartment with a friend named Jeff. The two young men had some kind of argument and Jeff left around four in the morning. Just as he reached the exit door of the building downstairs, he heard his friend cry out twice. Matt had followed his friend out of the flat, apparently to throw him a key to let himself out of the building. He was in his socks and slipped on the well-polished floor of the outside landing. He lost his balance, but managed to grab a low handrail as he tumbled over. He knew he was in danger and cried out. Jeff looked up and saw him dangling. At first, he thought his Irish friend was playing some kind of a joke, but suddenly he realized that Matt was hanging on for dear life. Jeff turned and sprinted up the stairs, pulling a calf muscle two and a half flights up. Just then, he looked on in disbelief as Matt's body passed him in the shaft of the stairwell, striking the handrail at the bottom. He heard a thump and then a heavy thud. Matthew Howell moaned, but he was dead within a minute of hitting the floor. Wow. So it could be a totally freak accident, but it's, it's really sketchy that they were fighting. It seems like... Very easily, they could have been fighting, and he went over totally, the, the totally. handrail. But they clear Jeff's name, and he is ruled not part of it. They just said it was an accident based on, I guess, what he was wearing. And I, I don't know how they determined that, but he's not held on Whoa. any charges. Yeah, and I guess, like, Colin goes to St. Petersburg to collect the body, but he also goes to the site of the accident, and he, like, did some weird experiments, like, dropping things and trying to figure out how much time 
the kid had to try to go save his son. And he kind of comes to the conclusion as well that it most likely was just an accident. That is wild. Yeah. It was 16 years after his mother's death. I mean, what a, this is so tragic for the siblings. So tragic for that family to lose their mother and then lose baby brother or the oldest sibling. Yeah. Okay. He's the oldest. Yeah. So Colin's world was shattered and he coped with his grief by once again losing himself in porn, sex shops, adultery, and the old favorite, assaulting your patients. He also made a devastatingly bad financial decision when he got scammed by a man who had a get-rich-quick scheme to recover Yamashita's gold in the Philippines. So Yamashita's gold is the name given to the alleged World War II loot stolen by the Japanese and hidden in caves, tunnels, and underground complexes. Oh my god. Yeah, treasure hunters have combed this area for 50 years or more, and they have never found absolutely anything. Experts do not believe that the treasure exists. But somehow, Colin thought it did, and this guy in the Philippines, who he was connected to through somebody from church, totally swindled him out of 353,000 pounds. Whoa. Yeah, so he made an initial investment in 100,000 pounds, and then the guy realized he had a live one on you know, the line here. And he kept saying, oh, we've ran into problems. Like, cause he said that they were like having to go into mines and they, there was like undetected landmines in the mines and they had to like get a crew in there. And then somebody got injured while they were digging out the gold and they, that person needed medical expenses. And the guy just kept telling Colin, he needed more money and more money until he was finally tapped out. And he's like, what the hell is going on? And the guy is like, oh no, no, don't worry. I have I have the, the the treasure for you. Just come to the Philippines and collect your treasure. <laughs> yeah, I'm dead serious. And so he goes to meet this guy in a hotel in the Philippines. The guy's like, here you go. And he gives them two brass ammunition boxes with some worthless silver coins in it. Later, it was valued at only 30 pounds. Stop it. Yeah, and Colin is so depressed. He just looks at the guy and he's like, you're a fraud aren't you? And the guy's like, what? No. And he's like, I know you're a fraud because I'm a fraud and I can see a fraud because it's like looking in the mirror. And he like literally says it to him. And then he takes his sad little treasure and leaves. Sad little treasure. The saddest, smallest little treasure. Like you could have done better if you were one of those people that goes with a metal detector on the beach. You would have made more You could have done better at the penny slots. (laughs) <laughs> you definitely could have done better at the penny slot. 363,000 pounds. Man, oh. he should have been able to smell the fraud sooner. Yeah, I guess it's really not. He, his little fraud detector nose wasn't as strong as he thought it was. He didn't sniff that one out for a long, long time. Oh, my gosh. So upon return to Ireland, Colin confesses to Kyle that not only has he lost all of the family's money, he's also been cheating oh on her. Oh, my God. <laughs> this guy's a mess. So she quite understandably throws him out, and he's forced to go live in a trailer, or as they call it in Ireland, a caravan. Caravan. Mm-hmm. He's in a caravan. Bereft, alone, and penniless, 
Colin Howell felt like God was finally doling out punishments for his multitude of sins. And he believed the hits would just keep coming if he did not fully confess his sins. So on January 29th of 2009, with the full support of his wife, Kyle, Colin appeared before the church elders to unburden himself. So he starts out, I've sinned a bunch, my dudes, and I must confess to get right with our Lord and Savior. So they're like, yes, 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 go on. We love sins. Tell us, tell us what's going on here. I, I mean, I'm sure they don't really love sins, but they love, they love it when cleansing you confess them of, of sins. Yes, cleanse, let's cleanse your ass. Let's do this. We are going to be like a spiritual bidet today. We are going to cleanse your ass of your sins. So he's like, okay, so I cheated on Kyle in 2002 and in 2005. Oh, and just recently too. And they're like, okay, that's not great, but God is a forgiving bloke and we can work with this. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. There's more. I also just lost all of our family's money in a bizarre get rich quick scheme. And they're like, okay, that's not great, but that's not all that bad. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm also not done. <laughs> I'm additionally addicted to porn and I've made women have at least four abortions. So now they're like, yikes, the Lord does not love that stuff. But with atonement, we can heal and grow. And he's like, wait, 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 though. I've also been sexually assaulting patients while they're knocked out. And so they're like, oh, shit, this is criminal. <laughs> like, we're going to have to call the police, friend. Like, this is getting bad. You've got a lot of sins. And then finally, he goes, yeah, but the worst thing I ever did is still coming up. Because remember that time my wife and my lover's husband killed themselves? Yeah, that was me. I killed them both and set it up to look did like Did he suicide. just have a full meltdown? Like a full breakdown? full breakdown and literally was telling them all of his sins leading up to the big daddy sin over here. The bidet can't clean that shit. They must have. <laughs> this is like Indian food and food poisoning. This The bidet is not going to take care of this. There's no bidet not by itself. You, the church elders' faces must have been melting. They must have just been like, what? What is going on? Like, this guy also, like, is supposed to be an upstanding member of the church. He's a dentist. He has a beautiful wife and a million kids, you know? So the church elders are like, uh, BRB calling the cops? <laughs> if you could just we cannot handle have a this. seat and eat some cookies, we'll, uh, we'll be right with you. <laughs> Say seven Hail Marys. Yeah, they're going to, like, if I was them, I would go into the next room and hit that that uh, that blood of Christ. I'd be like, I need to take a couple shots of this stuff because I cannot handle what I just heard. So he's crying. Kyle's crying. And of course, the whole story tumbles out. He tells them exactly how he did it. So let's talk about how he did it and got away with it. So Colin says that Leslie did say that thing to him, that thing that he says that she woke up in the middle of the night and said, basically, this is going to be over soon. I'm going to go to heaven. He said that she did say that. And then after she fell asleep, he had what he would refer to later as his eureka moment. Gross. He claims he honestly believed he could help his troubled wife by killing her. He says that he wanted to relieve Leslie and Trevor of their pain, that he believed that it would be like a form of euthanasia in an act of Ew. mercy. This is not your old dog, sir. This is your wife. 
You cannot just euthanize her. That's insane. Jesus. Yeah. He actually believed that God would bless his actions. I mean, dude, pretty sure thou shalt not kill is pretty high up on the commandments list. Pretty sure God was like, don't do that. I don't think he's going to bless this. Also, let's remember he was a financial mess at this point. So he, even when he confesses, he claims that the money had nothing to do with it. But I think it's pretty sketchy timing that he kills her right after she inherited all that money from her father. Yeah. And some of Leslie's friends did say that she was thinking of getting a divorce and moving on because obviously it was not mentally healthy for her to be in this marriage. And she had that money that was just hers. It was not a family account. It went just to her from her father, you know? It's like, let's not pretend that you were doing anything altruistic, dipshit. You wanted Leslie's money and you wanted Trevor's life. (laughs) Plain, Plain and simple. That's what she did it for. Plain and simple. Yeah. So speaking of Trevor's wife, Hazel, though initially perplexed by the murder plot, did eventually decide to participate in the killings. And he blows her spot up too? Oh, he blew her spot up so hard. He threw, he's like, oh, is that that the bus coming? And threw her right under it. Boom, 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 boom. 100%, yes. So apparently Howell had told her, I have a plan for Trevor and Leslie that can look as if they committed suicide, but I need your help. He explained that they would die of carbon monoxide fumes. Hazel's first reaction, according to Howell, was to express fear about the consequences for them if they were found out. She told him, if we get caught, I'll slit my wrists. If I see them coming to get me, I'll have my wrists slit. She insisted it was a crazy idea, which would not work, but she knew he needed her on board, and although he didn't go into all the details, Howell was clearly determined to go ahead. Howell told Hazel that he wanted the deaths to be painless. He was afraid Trevor might wake up and shoot him. Part of his plan was that both victims would be sedated, just like you said. As they sat side by side in Trevor's car, Howell gave her the tablets that he had brought with him, lorazepam, an anti-anxiety drug. He told Hazel that they belonged to his mother, who sometimes stayed at his house, and took them when she had trouble sleeping in a different bed. According to Howell's account to the police, Hazel took the tablets he handed to her, maybe six or eight in a little blister pack, and slipped them into her handbag. He instructed her to use two spoons to crush them and put the powder into Trevor's food. On May 18, 1991, on son Daniel's second birthday, Colin made sure that all of the children stayed up extra late so they would sleep through the night. He made sure they all used the bathroom and then barred their doors with a hockey stick so that they would be unable to wake and witness their mother's murder. He called Hazel and told her to drug her husband's dinner and that if he didn't show up at her house later, something had gone wrong with Leslie. Around 11 p.m., Leslie fell asleep on the couch while watching TV. After preparing a hose attached to the exhaust pipe of his car, he pulled it silently through the home and positioned the nozzle in the direction of Leslie's face. She had been wrapped up in a quilt, so he brought it over her face and he positioned the nozzle inside the quilt. He then went into the hallway to not inhale the deadly fumes himself. He listened as she lay dying, even once groaning and calling out the name of their oldest son, Oh my God, the sick fuck. So sick. He realized at that moment that she knew she was dying and was calling out for her child. 
Years later, he would recall, that is one of the memories that haunts me. She called his name. I didn't expect her to be awake. I hadn't imagined that this would happen. Wow. You were ending a human life there. You don't get to just do it like like quietly and peacefully. Willy nilly. <laughs> yeah. In her death throes, she attempted to struggle, but Colin straddled her and forced the hose practically in her mouth. Oh, my God. Soon he was dizzy and sick feeling himself. So he staggered to the hallway to take fresh gas of air and then returned to find his wife dead. Afterwards, he changed her clothes because she was like in her dressing gown, like she was in her like night clothes. So he changed her into day clothes and he carried her body to the trunk of the car. It's really funny, actually, to think that like now I think people could just like people just wear pajamas during the day especially during COVID but like yeah. back then that would have really given it away that she was in her pajamas totally. totally you know he did need to move quickly though because it was necessary that both bodies appeared to have died at the same time so he put her body in the trunk and then he gathered up family photos and Leslie's Walkman to further set the scene as well as a getaway bicycle because he was going to set it up to make it look like they committed suicide in yeah. their family car yeah so he did one last check on his sleeping children and then he rushed to the Buchanan's where Trevor was passed out in bed after eating a drugged tuna sandwich. Ew. That's a sad last meal. Yeah. Ugh. That's messed up. Yeah. So Hazel led him into the house and he uncoiled the hose like a deadly snake, preparing to give Trevor the same poisonous treatment he had just administered to his wife. Trevor was sleeping in bed, so Colin left the nozzle next to his face, like on the pillow, turned on the car, and left the room. But as Colin waited outside the bedroom door, he heard Trevor stirring. When he peeked in, he saw Trevor lift his head, so he ran in and attempted to shove a blanket over his head and the hose underneath it, but Trevor, despite being drugged and gassed, fought back tremendously. I mean, he was fighting for his life. The two men wrestled for something like he thinks a couple minutes maybe, but it was probably more like 20 seconds, even locking eyes at one point. But Trevor did never yell out, he said. In desperation, Colin forced the nozzle between Trevor's teeth. Whoa. Yeah. And then forced a blanket over his body. And he like basically bear hugged him. Well, he was under the blankets and he struggled and eventually the drugs and the gas bested him and he went limp and died. Ugh. Oh, stone cold murderer. Stone cold murderer. Colin at this point had inhaled enough of the fumes that he was lightheaded and he ran outside to take gulping deep breaths of fresh air. He nearly puked in Hazel's bushes, but managed to stop himself because he didn't want to leave forensic evidence at their house. When he recovered, Hazel provided him with clothes to dress Trevor, after which he placed Trevor in the boot with Leslie, placed a sheet over both bodies, and placed his bike on top. While he drove to his late father-in-law's garage to stage the scene, Hazel got rid of the evidence. She hacked the hose to pieces with a knife and then threw the pieces into a burning fire that she had already started. She also vacuumed their bedroom meticulously as Colin had worried over losing hair or skin during his struggle with Trevor. Oh, my God. Yep. Hazel opened all the windows of the house to get rid of the lingering gas odor, and she laundered the sheets, again, trying to get rid of any evidence. She will later try to say that she was not responsible for Leslie and Trevor's death, but 
come on. Look at all she's doing right now. She's 100% complicit. Yeah. After Colin positioned the bodies the way they would ultimately be discovered, he ran a vacuum hose from the tailpipe in through the tailgate rear window inches away from where Leslie laid, already deceased, of course. He closed the garage door and biked home, arriving as the sun came up around 5, 5.30-ish. He called Hazel using their click system as not to wake the sleeping children. And after confirming that she had disposed of the evidence, he told her exactly what she was supposed to say to the police. The, quote, suicide note that Colin would provide to the police was indeed written by Leslie. He had found it crumpled in a drawer. So we don't know whatever Leslie had intended for that note previously. Okay. Obviously, whatever she is referring to didn't happen. And she never gave him the note. He just found it. But when he found it, he was like, ooh, goody, I can, like, make this more convincing, you know? He stayed awake as the children slowly rose, and then he put on an Oscar-worthy performance for his concerned friends and family, and ultimately the authorities as well. Colin Howell, with his accomplice and lover, Hazel Buchanan, had pulled off the perfect crime. And they would have completely gotten away with it if it wasn't for Colin's crisis of conscience nearly 20 years after the murders. Wow. Yeah. Do you want to know something even crazier? Kyle knew about the murders. You and she was okay with it. So they even thought about bringing her up on charges because she knew about the murders, but eventually they decide not to. Apparently, he told her 16 months into their marriage after they'd already had their first baby together. And she says, and what Derek Henderson kind of excuses in the book is that she didn't really know anyone in Ireland. She had gone through a really bad divorce with the father of her first two children and like kind of as part of her eat, pray, love, getting over it, she went to Ireland to study Irish history in a university. But when she met Colin, she dropped out and just had a baby. And so basically they said she felt like a little trapped in the situation. Like she didn't know anyone in Ireland. She was still going through a contentious custody battle with her first two kids. She thought if she was like married to a murderer, you know, they weren't going to let her keep her kids. You think? Yeah. And she says that when he first told her, she was like, oh, wait, we're calling the cops right now. You're turning yourself in. And then he was like, okay, but like, you know, you have two kids. We have one together. I have four other kids. Like, let me sell the practice. Let me figure out our financial stuff. Let me set you guys up so that you're all taken care of. And then I'll like totally turn myself in. And so she's like, okay. But then, you know, every day he's like, I didn't do it today. I didn't do it today. And then like basically as the weeks and months went by, she kind of just, I guess, stopped caring. I don't know. I guess she was like, maybe he's reformed. Like she's very Christian and she does believe in atonement. I mean, I don't think that's a sin that you can atone for without, you know, serving some time. But I guess she just thought maybe it's okay. I don't know. I can't explain it. I thought that was a very bizarre part of the whole thing was that when I first read this, it opens in the confession. And I thought, wow, she's finding out at the same time, like the elders are finding out or she found out the night before or something, yeah. you know? But no. And that's horrifying. But no, she knew for a long time. Yeah. Crazy. Kyle was upfront and honest with the police about how much she knew and when. 
And she ends up not being charged with anything, with any like obstruction or anything. I mean, I guess it's only okay that he, cause he didn't kill anyone else. Like I would be like, throw her in jail if she, if, if he admitted to it and then he went on to kill more. I mean, then she's yeah. kind of responsible for those people that died, but nobody else died. So I don't know. I guess that's why they let her go, you know? Yeah, so Colin's officially arrested for double homicide on February 3rd, 2009, and Kyle left him for good, and she took their five children. I think the five kids were still underage. I think the older kids were out of the house mostly at this point to Florida, where I believe they still reside. Okay. So Colin then spent two years in prison awaiting trial and going through a multitude of psych evaluations. Colin was found to be depressive, religious, and grandiose, as well as narcissistic and controlling with delusions of grandeur, but was ruled sane. On November 18th, 2010, he pled guilty and was sentenced to life in prison. Colin agreed to be the star witness in Hazel's trial. Now, Hazel attempts to prove that she's innocent and that she was coerced into helping Colin as she was terrified of him. She says that he scared her into submission and that she believed she would also be killed if she didn't comply. Come on. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. However, her husband, David Stewart, and her two children, Lisa and Andrew, stand by her 100%. Even though their father is the one who was killed, her kids, to this day, fully support their mother, love her. They cried. Like, when she went to trial, they told like the press, like that they believe she was innocent, that she just got caught up with a bad guy. I mean, her family is 100% on her side. So the trial begins and the prosecution is basically saying that the double murder was a joint venture between Colin and Hazel. So she's just as legally responsible as yeah. he is for the deaths. And truly, there is no way he could have murdered Trevor or covered up both murders without her. Like yeah. she had to be the one who drugged, drugged him. Trevor mm -hmm, yep. and then let you know, Colin into her house when she knew what he was going to do. They also contend that she had ample opportunity to warn or save Trevor and additionally could have turned Colin in immediately. You know, she could have turned him in the next day or before he did it. She knew his plan. Instead, she spent the next decade and a half cashing in on Trevor's police pension and keeping her dirty little yep. secret. Yeah. Which also taking the money after knowing what happened is also fraudulent, you know? Of course. So the defense contends that she was scared to death of Colin and the only reason Colin was testifying against her was because he was enacting vengeance on the woman who had left him. So this is what they're saying is just revenge testimony from a man who's been wronged. Okay. Oh man, but he did get some some digs in on her. So while he's on the stand, he says some like not so nice things about his former lover. So from the secret, here are some of Colin's greatest hits. Oh, my God. Yeah. When he is asked that, like, what Hazel is like, because the defense is trying to say that she's naive, she's easily controlled, she's like the sweet, innocent little woman. Howell quickly dismissed Mr. Ramsey's suggestion that his client was a shy, somewhat naive, and softly spoken woman. Howell had clearly anticipated the question. He said, I would describe Hazel as an advertisement for an orphanage in India. You see these pictures of a little child with a big teardrop and dark brown eyes, and you just want to get your wallet out and give money to it and help it. But I have been to India twice, and I have discovered that those adverts often have two businessmen behind them collecting money off of wealthy people and putting it into their back pocket. Wow. <laughs> Yikes. He also said that Hazel Stewart had been 
the one to seduce him at the beginning of the affair, he described the power she had over him in dramatic terms. I walked into the spider's web. Now flies go into the spider's web because they think that there might be some food for them there. So I willingly went after the bait and got caught together in a trap, and it proved to be so because of the end result. He then went on to compare the murders to their previous abortion. He said, if you look at the joint venture of the abortion, Hazel wanted it and I facilitated it. If you look at the murders, I wanted it and Hazel facilitated it. So we were both waltzing in time. Nobody was dragging anybody in the wrong direction. When it came to killing two people, the decision to have an abortion with Hazel was extremely significant. That joint cooperation was so significant to how the two of us could do the same together. So Hazel chose not to take the stand in her own defense as advised by her attorneys, but a taped recording of a police interview was played in court while Hazel played the poor me card and attempted to paint the murders as something that had happened to her rather than what she had done to two others. She said, I had to do things for my children and be strong for them. My guilt was horrendous. My shame. I hated him. The relationship went on for years, but only because of him. He did not want it to end. Maybe I couldn't say to him. I was scared of him, not knowing what he would do. I saw what he had done, how capable he was of doing things. I was scared sometimes for my children. I just didn't feel easy about it at times. They thought he was all right, but they weren't that comfortable with him. But life has been horrific for me. I never got over it. I'm going through all of this now. The thought of losing my children, losing David, it's the hardest thing. Yeah, I destroyed their lives, Lisa and Andrew's lives. Colin's children didn't deserve this either. Or Leslie. Leslie was a lovely girl. Trevor was very good too. What? Wow. (laughs) Wow. Well, the jury and judge clearly didn't buy the act and they didn't feel bad at all for Hazel. So she was convicted of murder and sentenced to 18 years to life in prison. Whoa. Colin Howell has settled well into prison life. He attends church, does the newspaper crossword puzzle, and is a prolific writer of Christian-themed children's books. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Huge eye roll. Despite his positive outlook, he is not popular and has few friends in jail. The police looked into the possibility that Colin also killed his father-in-law, Harry Clark, but it appears that his death was just a happy coincidence for the murderous Irishman. In May of 2011, while already behind bars, he was also convicted of 14 counts of indecent assault for the women he assaulted at his practice and received an additional five and a half years to his sentence. Oh, my God. Good riddance. Good riddance. I don't think he's going to get out alive. Hazel had quite a difficult time settling into prison, but eventually got into the groove by hitting the gym four to five times a week and participating in Bible study. She was devastated to miss her son Andrew's wedding in May of 2011 and apparently stayed in her cell all day just looking at his picture. Oh. Don't really feel bad for you. I feel bad for Andrew. Yeah. Mm. Oh, God. Can you imagine that? People are like, where's the mother of the groom? In jail for killing my father? Jesus. No. No. The families of Trevor and Leslie are still reeling from the deception today. It seems particularly cruel how Colin positioned the bodies because it created innuendo and speculation about Leslie and Trevor's relationship. And of course that in their religion, suicide is a sin. So it besmirched their names for those long 18 years before the truth came out, you know? Yeah. Also it made the kids feel like their mother abandoned them. Colin and Leslie's son, Daniel, who was celebrating his second birthday on that day 
urged the courts to keep his father behind bars in his victim impact statement. He wrote about how his elder brother, Matthew, had felt deeply saddened by their mother's alleged suicide, abandoned and bereft. He wrote about his five younger siblings who were left fatherless and the diabolically selfish man their father turned out to be. He concluded, when I found out about how Colin had murdered my mother, it put tremendous strain on me. I struggled to do the work demanded of me in my medical degree. It put a lot of pressure on my closest friendships and it has split the different sides of the family apart, leaving me in the middle to try and mediate between them. To describe this as life-changing is an understatement. I have known Colin for all my life and I believe I know him well. He is very intelligent and very good at coming across sincerely. People trust his intentions to be good despite everything he has done. He is excellent at portraying himself in the way he wants people to see him. Everyone thought he was a model citizen, a success story just before his arrest, during a time when he was having an affair and there was sexual harassment and his involvement in the financial situation in the Philippines, all the while concealing what he had done. I therefore believe that no one could ever know if he has truly changed and therefore he remains a danger to society. It is vital, in my opinion, that he is in prison, protected from society for as long as possible, since he has demonstrated how much harm he is capable of causing and how good he is at concealing it. Man, that's like heavy coming from the son of the murderer. Yeah. Heavy. Well, lock him up and throw away the key, I say. He got 23 years that he shouldn't have, you know? Yep. Yeah. that. Done. Apparently, he tried to set up a practice in the prison, and the prison was like, no, you can't practice dentistry. You're insane. Yeah, and for our um, Irish listeners, apparently, the story became a popular ITV miniseries called The Secret. Oh, no way. So if you've checked it out, let me know how it was, because I did not access it. I think it's like one of those things I would have had to pretend I was in the UK for, and I didn't have the time this week. (laughs) Yeah. So let us know if it's good and what you guys think. If you liked this story, please leave us a review and let us know. We've had so many phenomenal reviews lately, and we really appreciate each and every one of them. So thank you, guys. In conclusion, trunk of porn is gross. That is not something I want to find in my husband's weird no. attic collection. <laughs> I don't think anyone ever wants to buy that. No, I'm glad that the weirdest collection my husband has is magic cards. <laughs> much better, much better. Much better, much better. If you are going to be an upstanding member of your church, maybe you should follow the rules. Yes, if you're gonna talk the talk, you better walk the walk. Walk that walk. Walk that walk. And as always, follow your gut when it comes to love so no one ends up murder. Thank you guys so much. Bye. Bye.